you found a message that was delivered at Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We are praying the time you invest hearing God's Word encourages you in your walk with Jesus and inspires you to share Him with others. If you want to learn more about us or send us a prayer request, visit our website, livingstreamscc.org. Thank you for listening. It's a blessing to be here today. Can you guys hear me? Okay. Blessing to be here. Glad to see you guys come out. And uh, what a joy it is to be able to stand up here and preach this word. It's not something I take lightly. I'm very grateful that Pastor allows me to do this. Um, God is definitely um, stretching me when I do this. I'm not used to doing this, right? I'm an electrician by day, and um, but I love Jesus every day. And I love his word, and his words changed me, and, and that's all I can give to you folks, right? Um, a lot of bad news out here in this world today, and uh, I want to share some real, I want to share some real good news with you. It's going to probably make me cry a little bit, but that's all right. Um, it's been a long journey for me and my wife to, uh, to be able to have a family um, due to her ovarian cancer. We cannot have kids together, and... We've been going through this process to become foster parents, to build a family in our home, and we just, it's great because it just goes along with this message of bringing love to life for these kids, and uh, we just found out Friday that we got licensed officially to be uh, foster parents, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you, it's pretty crazy, man, if you knew my story and where God's brought me out of. Uh, it's nothing short of a miracle, man. And I, I mean, I believe that with all my heart that this was God doing this. And I knew if he was going, if it was going to get done, it was going to be because of his hand. And I love that this type of thing happens because it just shows me how undeniable God is real. Because if it were left up to me to get these things done and make things happen like this in life, it would never happen. Um, I have a past that is very colorful and spent many years in prison and being a drug addict. And uh, my mom, it's funny how this thing comes full circle. My mom adopted one of my kids while I was in prison. And that's her child now. That's her boy. That's her son. Son, as weird as that is, you know, uh, that's how it was. And But praise be to God that he's given me another chance to be a father and I always wanted that, you know, being a Christian and becoming born again. I always wanted another opportunity, you know, redemption to be a father again, you know. And praise God he's given me this opportunity. I could jump up and down and shout for joy all the days of my life. And, you know, one thing I want you to get through your head uh, as I preach this message out of Philippians 2, and it's about bringing love to life, is that your children, this is very scary, The children that you have in your home, and I'm not a father, never was to my two boys that I have. One lives in Virginia, one my mom adopted. Um, I'm trying to be now, right, for the past eight years. Um, But I'll tell you one thing that's scary about the children that's in your home. They're going to learn love from you, right? They're going to see how you love your wife. That's the example that's in your home. And they're going to... They're going to learn, and they're going to act them same things out. Whether you're patient, you're kind, you do not envy, you do not boast, you're not proud, you're not rude, you're not self-seeking, you're not easily angered, right? You do not delight in evil but rejoice with the truth. They're going to either see them things or not see them things and imitate that. 
right? And that's the scariest thing for me as we bring these children into our home to show them the love of Christ is that they're going to see this in the way that me and Amber respond to each other and love each other, you know? Um, and I want to get that um, through our heads today that to bring this love to life, I'm not talking about what the world thinks love is. I'm not talking about what we as human beings think love is. I'm talking about what this word says love is, okay? I'll tell you, before I was born again and before the Lord had opened my eyes, what I thought love was was this, and this is what the word says. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil, right? Before I was born again, I loved darkness, man. I tattooed the devil on my arm that says, sign my, sign your soul. I lived in darkness and I loved darkness, as weird as that is, right? But that's true. What was bad I called good, and what was good I called bad, and what was light I called dark, and dark light. What was bitter I called sweet, and sweet was bitter. My mind was warped because of the enemy, right? I was deceived. But praise be to God, he said, son, I'm going to cause you to live for me. And listen to this in 2 Timothy, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of what? Lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's what I thought love was. Loving pleasure, loving evil, and not loving God before the Lord, right? Now I'm going to tell you today that The only reason that these things can be true in my life is because the Holy Spirit of God that he put in me, right? Apart from Christ, I will not do what we're about to read about in Philippians 2. I won't. Apart from Christ and him doing it through me, I will be a lover of pleasure. I will be a lover of self, and I will be self-centered and instead of God-centered. I will be self-centered instead of others, thinking about others, right? It'll be all about me, me, me. And unfortunately, that's what the world thinks love is. Love is about you, 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 and what you can get out of someone else. Not what you can give to someone else and to lay your down, lay down your life as a sacrifice. No, unfortunately, what's wrong with humanity today is that we think it's all about us. And really, when Jesus came down because of God the Father and God gave his very best to us, he gave, right, just like he expects us to, to give our lives, that others might see the love of Christ in our lives. I'll never forget the greatest thing that, um, the greatest thing in my life that I had witnessed that I wanted to become a Christian more than anything was the love of Christ that I seen in someone else, folks. Listen. I went to a ministry, it was called Saul of Paul and Heaven of Bay, okay? And I stayed there, I stayed at Saul of Paul 10 months, and I stayed at Heaven of Bay for 10 months, and I seen Don and Joylin and Anthony and Tracy and, and Dave and Joy Norris. Uh, they allow guys like me, hardened criminals, I can tell you, um, drug addicts, the worst of the worst, the despised and the rejected things of the world. They allowed us to come into their life and take care of us, take care of every need that we ever had so we could focus on getting to know and love Jesus. Right? They took care. We didn't have to pay rent. We stayed there for free. They, Joylin and, and Joy cooked every meal for us and Tracy. We didn't want for nothing, man. And all the while, the whole point of this was, the whole point of this ministry 
was so that we would fall out of love with ourselves, stop loving ourselves so much, and start loving Jesus. Don Sink told me this that day. I met with him with my mother the first day. The only thing that will ever change you is to fall in love with Jesus. Stop loving the things of this world. Stop loving yourself and love Jesus, man. He's worthy. And he's way better than anything this world can offer you. I promise you. I have run after everything this world's had to offer. And it is empty. It's empty. It's shallow. This word right here is full of life. And I love to read about it. It says that his love is better life. I better get going. Okay, 1035. All right. I don't know why I'll do that, but Lord help me. Okay, let's read this passage, folks. I'm sorry. Philippians 2. Okay, starting in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others better than yourself, above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This morning I want to give you three points, okay? Three instructions I'll give you today to bring this type of love to life that Philippians 2 talks about. Okay, the first being focus your attention on others. Please do this and you will see quite the blessing come out of your life. I I say unfortunately for a lot of Christians, they will not live like this and they will not know the blessings that can come from living like this. To bring this love to life, it says nothing can be done. Okay, not just do some things out of a selfish ambition and, you know, the other half of your life, you know, don't do out of a selfish ambition. No, it says, Paul says, do nothing through a selfish ambition. Okay, excuse me. I think in the flesh, guys, we are often motivated, okay, by a selfish ambition, even being in Christ or a conceit, right? Much of what we do is not out of love for others, but out of our own desire for advancement or promotion, unfortunately. I'm not saying all the time, or that's that's you, or, you know, I don't really know your personal walk with the Lord, whether you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I know for me, I had to spend a lot of time repenting this week and crying with my wife because I don't live this word out, right? It's a constant life of repentance that says, Lord, forgive me because I do not do what your word says a lot of days. Not all ambition is bad. Listen, there's a selfish ambition and there's a godly ambition, right? One's great and one's bad. To have a selfish ambition is horrible. To have a a godly ambition is this, to glorify God and to serve Him with all we have is is a great ambition to have, right? But I'll tell you, a selfish ambition is not a good thing to have. I've lived for self for far too long and it's sickening. It says do nothing out of selfish ambition, not only selfish ambition, but vain conceit. This will help you, listen, bring this love to life and focus on others. Conceit is this. 
is thinking too highly of yourself. If you think too highly of yourself, I can guarantee you this in here today, that you will not think about valuing others better than yourself. just won't work like that. The dictionary defines conceit as this, as an excessively favorable opinion of one's own ability, of importance or wit, and so forth. When we do things, for example, as feeling we are so important or so able or so talented, we are not reflecting the humility of Christ and that dependency that Christ is trying to get us to get to, to say, Lord, I cannot do this, but I know you can, and I will depend on you, and I will look unto the hills for where my help comes from. Galatians 6.3 says it like this about being conceited. This is the Bible. I love it. It's one of our first memory verses, you guys, that were at Saul to Paul. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself, man. Point blank. Know who you are with Christ and know who you are apart from Christ. Rather than being selfish and conceited, right? Rather, there's that side of the coin where you're selfish and conceited. Rather in humility, like our Lord Jesus, value others better than yourself. This was Christ. This was Christ, our humble Lord. He didn't come to this earth to seek his own and to seek himself. He came seeking you, the one lost sheep. He left the 99 to find. I praise God he did. This focuses his attention on others, right? Um, Brings this love, Christ's love, to life. Seeing people the way God sees them, right? They're precious, man. They have a soul that will live one day in either an eternal hell or an eternal heaven. I promise you. This, there's only two ways, right? There is eternal life. I promise you. This is just not it. What we see here, feel and touch on this earth. There is something greater, far greater. Praise God. We can have a living hope, a hope in a heaven. In a world yet to come. This focuses the attention on others, folks. This type of love, let me tell you, is totally contradictory and brings Christ, oh, excuse me, it's totally contradictory to the attitude of the world. This love that we're talking about, Philippians 2, is totally, it's at war with what the world wants you to believe. Okay? Because lowliness of mind, being humble like Christ, is the least attractive thing that most people see in this world today. When I first read the Bible, I'll tell you, it was so contradictory to what my flesh wanted and what the world wanted me to believe. Like this, for example. Love your enemy. Pray for them. Give them something to eat and drink. To give without wanting to be noticed. to be That you're, that you're blessed when you're persecuted or insulted or wrongly accused. To put others first and yourself last. That the first will be last and the last will be first. To deny yourself and carry a cross? To hate, to have hate in your heart was just as bad as having murder in your heart? To look lustfully at another woman was just as bad as committing the very act of adultery? Jesus says, I'm trying to show you a whole other way to live. Only you can do these through him. And he also was showing us to say, you, you don't understand. God wants perfection, the spotless lamb. And he gave us that in Jesus, right? The Bible shows us um, impossible ways to live to show us our great need for Jesus to do this through us, okay? And may I never think for one minute that I am better than the most horrific sinner, right? May I always remember what I was when God called me out of darkness. Because it is truly for the grace of God, there goes I. I'll follow right along in him with my sin. 
with their sin, right? If it wasn't for the grace of God keeping me every day. Can I tell you, when we focus on others and we value them better than ourselves, we will naturally have a concern for their needs and their concerns. Listen to this. If you consider me above you and I, and you, if, if, if you consider, if I consider you above me, excuse me, and you consider me above you, then a marvelous thing happens. We bring love to life, man. We bring Jesus' love to life. And we have a church where everyone is looked up to and no one is looked down upon. Philippians 2, 4 says this, not looking to your own interest, but also to the interest of others, okay? As we put away and put to death our selfish ambitions and our conceit and our tendencies to be high-minded and self-absorbed, we will naturally have a greater concern for the interests and the needs of others. It's a beautiful thing when you can see it, and it actually happens, and it's manifested right before your eyes. This is bringing love to life, man. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 says this, Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor, it is not right here what we're trying to th- talk about, it does is not self-seeking. It's not only looking to your own interests, it's also looking to the interests of others. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And this, you'll have an opportunity every day of your life if you're married to live this out, right? To consider your wife's needs above your own, right? That you'll look to her needs before you look to your own needs, right? And show this type of love, this agape love that God has shown us. It's unconditional and it expects nothing in return from you. Second Corinthians says it like this. Second Corinthians 5, 4, 14 through 15 says, For Christ's love, I love this, compels us. It compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all. Why? He died for all that those who should live should no longer live for themselves, right? No longer self-seeking. We're God-seeking, and in God-seeking, we're seeking others, right? No longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. For listen, at the end of your life, if you're in Christ, right, you will appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of you may receive what is due for do us for the things while in the body, whether good or bad. So if you've lived for self and your life is self-centered, focused, or you live for God, right, and you're God-centered, focused, you'll see in the end of your life when you see your Savior face to face. Either you'll just escape the flames and come into heaven, or you will hear this. And I want you to hear this, and I want my kids to hear this, and I want to hear this when I get into heaven. Well done. My good and faithful servant, thank you because I died for you. The least you could do is live for me. Amen. Living for self looks like this. There's two sides of the coin on that day of judgment. The wood, hay, and stubble and your motive behind why you do the things you do even, right? Living for self will equal wood, hay, and stubble and it will burn up. And it will not last. And living for others and God will be silver and gold and precious stones. And that one will last forever. And you will be able to lay something at your Savior's feet. Okay, so that's the first step. Okay? Is to focus on others. To bring this love to life. And I'm so grateful. Listen. 
not trying to put Joylin and Don or Dave and Joy or Anthony Tracy up on a pedestal in here today. I'm just trying to say, man, I got to see the love of Christ in these people, man, unlike I've ever seen in this world. Okay, that was the first thing, right? They laid down their lives for others, and we must as well if we want to bring this love to life. Focus your attention on others. Number two is follow your leader, your example, Jesus, your Lord, and your Savior. Follow him downward, right? And what I mean by that is that he was a humble servant above all. In humility, rather than to puff yourself up and lift yourself up, right? Follow him in humility downward, as verse 5 says. In your relationships with one another, have this mindset. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Man, he thought about you, right? On Calvary, he thought about you because it was your sin that held him there. And it was my sin that held him there. He was thinking about you. So you could be reconciled to your father. Follow him. That's what he calls you to do. Come and follow me. Right? Stop following the things of this world. Stop following the devil. I followed the devil for far too long. And I'm going to tell you, it, I, it almost about took me to my grave. I promise you that. And it's easy to read this description right here. Oh, have the same mindset and attitude of that as Christ Jesus. Like, man, that sounds good. You know, I don't know if it's possible. May I tell you that the Spirit of the living God dwells in you, man. Right? That He who is in you is greater than He who is in the world. Okay? The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me. May I never have an excuse on these lips. And many days I do. Many days I do. Okay? But God wants us to be awed by this sentence. That we can have the same mind. An attitude of that is Christ Jesus, okay? It's something we must enter into, though. It is. It's something we have to imitate, guys. Because you will either do this, you will imitate the world and what they do, or you will imitate your Lord and your Savior, and you will bow to one or the other. Oh, you will serve something in this life. I promise you. The mind of Christ was this. He was faithful to his Father. He was in constant prayer because he knew he had access to divine assistance. He was patient. Oh, how he loved. How he was humble and obedient. Key there. He was obedient. He was giving. He was virtuous and wise. And last but not least, oh, how he forgives. Oh, how he forgives with his precious blood. Remember also that this mind is something granted to you by God. This mind of Christ Jesus, okay? In 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 16 says this. We have, we, what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. What I was telling you, this, which is so, it doesn't make sense to the world, right? This is not given from the world that we would live like this or have this type of attitude in mind, okay? This spirit is from God. Why? So that we may understand what God has freely given us. If you don't have the Spirit of God in you today, this won't make no sense. And if you don't have the Spirit of God in you today, beg God to change your heart and your mind. Fall on your knees as I did. I begged God to save me. I said, Lord, I'm going to die if you don't save me. I need you to change me. Open these blind eyes, right? And give life to this dead heart. And he did, I promise you. Last, excuse me, remember 
that this was the spirit that God gave us and it was given to us so we may understand what God's given us, this mind of Christ. This is what we speak, right? This Bible is what we speak. And it's not words taught to us by human wisdom, praise the Lord, right? This wisdom is taught to us by the spirit explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. That's what I was saying. These, without the spirit, you cannot discern. What this is saying. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them what? Foolishness. This don't make sense to the world. That you'll live for someone else and you'll consider their interests above your own and that you would have a mind and attitude of Christ Jesus and actually be a humble servant, right? It don't make sense to the person that doesn't have the Spirit of God. This person with the Spirit, though, makes judgment about all things. Okay, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. When it says to have the same mindset as Jesus, this is something we have to walk in or abide in or let it be so. Right in our youth group, we're learning John fifteen five from going over the experiencing God book. Right, that I am the vine, Jesus says, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, apart from Jesus, I'll do nothing and you will do nothing. It is him flowing through us. Um, Verse 6 says it like this, Who being in very nature God, following our leader downward, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Listen, Jesus had all the power in the universe. Even on Calvary, right? And decided not to use it. He could have called legions down to call him, to, to lift him off that cross on any given moment and chose rather to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Right? In, in the Garden of Eden, when he said, Father, take this cup from me, but if there be any other way, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. He was about his father's business and about His Father's plan from the very beginning. It says, Jesus, who being in very nature God there in verse 6, okay, means Jesus has always been. I love this, man. I love this about my Father and Jesus. This is a a crazy thing to even try to wrap your mind around. It takes the Spirit of God like we just read about to even do that. But it says, Jesus has always been. He did not begin His existence in a manger in Bethlehem, okay? He is the eternal God. He has always been. John 1, 4 proves it. says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. And in Him was life. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, Emmanuel, God with us. We have seen His glory. I'm so thankful I've seen His glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay? This Jesus I bow to is the way and the truth and the life. And no one will come to the Father unless it's by Him. He was all God and he was all man. And his divine essence did not cease to be a fact that day when he came to earth. When he came to earth, excuse me. He did not cling to the privileges of his deity, nor did he consider equality, right here in verse 6, consider equality of God something to be used to his own advantage. It wasn't that Jesus was trying to achieve equality with the Father. Listen, he had it. 
He had equality with the Father, okay? He just chose not to take advantage of that. He said that he and his Father in John 10.30 were one. And I'm going to tell you this, a very convicting thing. He expects us to be one, just as him and his Father are one. That we should walk in a unity and a love just as they had. Verse 7 says this, rather, following your leader downwards, right? says, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. If you want to bring this love to life, then humble yourself, right, against the mighty hand of God and follow your leader Jesus downward in humility. Take the very nature, as he gave you this example, of a servant. The great example God gave us in his only begotten son was that he was a servant above all. Lay down your life, man. You wasn't born on this planet Earth to live for yourself. Whether knowingly or not, you know this or understand this or not, you were created to live for Jesus alone. Not the devil, not the things of this world. Okay? And they're both fighting for your attention. They are. They would both love to have your life. The enemy or the father. I've seen it both in my life. It's a very scary thing that you ought to take very serious. Matthew 23 said this about the servant and following our leader downward and that he was a servant above all. Matthew 23, 11 through 12 said, The greatest among you will be my servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. This is a promise. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is why he said in John 15, 13, that greater love has no one than this to lay down his life for his friends. Man, you want to be like Jesus? Lay down your life for others. It's not about you, man. And I know that's a hard, that's a hard instruction to take some days, right? Because unfortunately, we do think life's all about us. Life is about focusing on others because that was the very life that Jesus lived. He said at the washing of the disciples' feet, I have set before you today an example. And what I have done for you, you you might want to do it for others if you want to. If you want to. You know, I know you're busy. I know you got I know you got your calendar full for this month. You know, you got kids, you got a family, you need to take care of it. You gotta go your nine to five or eight to five. You know, I love to work eight hour days, but that's besides the point. That's a little joke between me and my fellow employees, but um, no, man. He said, he didn't say if you wanted to. He said, you must do to others. What I have done for you, you must do to others. Listen to this. It was from a guy named, his last name is Poole. I don't even know who this is. Maybe I'm biased because he's got my same last name. But this has got an E on it. It says, even as king, by laying aside the tokens of his royalty and putting on the habit of a merchant, while all the while he ceaseth not to be king, or the highest in his own dominion. I love that. God in human skin, as pastor puts it, I love that. God in human skin was just like us, right? Except he never sinned. He was a spotless lamb of God. And he was very God himself, but in the flesh. Verse 8, carry on with me. And it says, in being found in appearance of man, if you want to follow your leader downward, it says, he humbled himself and became obedient. Key word. Humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
It's very interesting, right? That it says he humbled himself by becoming obedient. This, this is very interesting. He says it was something only Jesus could experience by coming down from glory, from heaven, right? Um, and when God sets enthroned in heaven's glory, he, there is no one that he obeys, obeys, right? Jesus had to leave heaven's glory and be found in an appearance of a man in order to what? To become obedient to death on a cross because of our sins. Because of us. One key to Jesus' obedience on earth was his perseverance through his suffering. This again was something that he could only learn by experience after the incarnation. I'll tell you friends, you will have much suffering in this life. If you truly believe in this book and this gospel, it talks more about suffering than it does living your best life now. I promise you that. Hebrews 5, 8 says, son, though he was, he learned obedience from what? From what he suffered. So listen, two points, right? And we're getting on to the third point and we'll wrap this thing up. The first point in bringing this love to life was to focus on others. Focus your attention on others. The second point is to follow your leader, your example, Jesus, your shepherd, downward in humility. And the third is this. Fan your flame in worship in verses 9 through 11. Verse 9 says, therefore, therefore, why? Therefore, since he came down from heaven and became a man and became obedient to death on a cross, therefore, this is what God did for him. He exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. There's no other name like Jesus, I promise you. There is power in the name of Jesus. I have seen the name of Jesus. I have seen the spirit that comes along with this Jesus, right? Break the strongest bonds and the strongest chains. I have seen it tear down the tallest walls. I have seen it bring to life the deadest hearts. I've seen it with my very eyes. And that's why I believe, I will never ever believe for another day in my life that there is not a God in heaven who does this work in our lives. It says in Acts 4.12, because I have seen it, man. I have experienced something supernatural that God has delivered me out of such darkness and sin and breathed life into these dead bones. Acts 4.12 says this, salvation is found in no one else. For there is, what are we talking about that name? There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That's the truth. Jesus is the way, the life, and the truth. And you will not ever see the Father unless you come by Him. That's the gospel. There is power in this name of Jesus. I'll say it again. That's why we proclaim, we preach, we preach, we pray in Jesus' name. It's an authority thing. This book is the authority of God. It's given to us by God. And we say in Jesus' name, at that name, the demons must flee. You understand that? Because there is power in this name. Since Christ came and died the death that I deserve to die and lived this life that I could never live, my lips shall forever praise His name. Jesus, my Lord my Savior, and my great Redeemer, man. He's a great Redeemer. I've seen Him redeem so many things. The Bible says this in Joel, that I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. Man, I've seen that happen in my life. 
I'm telling you right now, the enemy is trying to take so many things from me, man. Right? He's trying to take my life. He's taken everything from me. And what's cool about that is that I've seen God restore all of it. And now that I know that this is not for me, this was from him. That I have this power in earth and vessel is to show that this power is not from me. It is from God. This is genuinely real. This is a supernatural thing, man, that has taken place in my life. This ain't just something I'm making up, man. My God is real. The spirit that comes with this book is real. And what he calls you to is real. He calls you to lay down your life and stop living for self. It's not about you. He deserves my worship. Is he worthy? Yes, he is. I was listening to that song. Is he worthy? Is he worthy to receive our blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy? He is. 100% he is. And I will live for him. I will bow my knee and confess to him every day. That I need his help. In verse 10. Go on. I'm getting too shook up now. That at the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. And under the earth. In Revelation it says it like this. In Revelation and Isaiah. I kind of intertwine these together. We learn that day and night. The angels continuously say. Holy. Holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. Who was and is and is to come. For you are worthy, our Lord and the God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Listen, as it says, in heaven and on earth and under the earth means this, that everything, whether knowingly or not, whether you know this or not, or you believe this or not, this is true, that everything is held together by Jesus. He has dominion over everything. He has supremacy over everything, whether you believe it or not. It is true. And one day when we die, whether you don't believe this or not, you will see he has supremacy over everything. You will bow one day and your tongue will confess one day. Either you will do that now in earth or you will do it in heaven. I'm telling you, it ought to shake you to your core. Because this life is just not it. You will die one day and spend eternity somewhere. Believe that. This is not my words. I believe this is very God's word right from his mouth. This title, um, Lord, here in verse 11, it says that every tongue should acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This, this, this title, Lord, here represents Jesus' authority, right? His holiness, His power, and His attributes. Jesus is very much God. Even now, He is the God-man. Okay? Um, the Lord, the, the word in Greek, uh, Lord there, um, kyrios, is meaning having all power and dominion and authority and the right to master and rule you. Jesus has the right to master and rule you. Why? Because He gave His life for you. He laid it all down for you that you would live for him. And to confess, to confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord is to say that Jesus is equal to God, which is exactly what Philippians 2, 6 says, that who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God 
something to be used to his own advantage. Now, when I talk about fanning this flame to worship, I'm not just talking about, I, this is, okay, listen. I'm not just talking about coming up here and singing songs, right? That is an example of worship, right? That is a practice of worship, and that is, um, what is the other word? An expression of worship, right? But to be a living sacrifice, as Romans 12, 1 says, this is a great picture of worship, right? That you would be a living sacrifice, right? That you would be always being transformed by your mind to know this word that tells you to live for others and to follow your leader Jesus downward in humility, right? Worship is more than a song. Worship is not the amount of money that you'll place in that offering plate. Worship is not volunteering in the youth group or um, kid or the nursery, right? These are great things, right? These are awesome things, and these are acts or expressions of worship, but they do not define what true worship is. But, um, you know, true worship, I think somewhere in the Bible says this, to take care of the widows and the orphans, right? Take care of the widows and the orphans, right? See that they need help and be that for them. Be Jesus in their life for them, right? Care about the needs of others, man. Um, these are acts and expressions of worship, but they do not find what true worship really is. There are numerous definitions, listen, of the word worship. The one I like here says is to honor with extravagant love, man. To worship Jesus is to, to honor him. It's a weighty thing, right? That word honor. To honor him with an extravagant love, and not only with an extravagant love, but with this extreme submission. Listen, be radical about following Jesus, man, right? We were so radical about following the things of this world. I was, at least. Be radical about following Jesus. And I'll tell you, you want to know what you worship in here today? See where your time and your talents and your money go. Or, matter of fact, see where God's time that he gives you and see where God's talents that he gives you and see where God's money that he gives you, see where it goes and you'll see where, what you worship. You'll see what you bow down to. I promise you. I've, I've seen it in my own life. And we are all, I'm guilty and you are guilty of all worshiping and bowing to the wrong things on any given day. And think of that idol worship. What things, think about it like this, what things take first priority in your life? And then God gets the very last. What do you put above God? That is an idol, right? And it could be, and it doesn't even have to be bad things, right? But whatever you're putting in front of God, right, is an idol. Because he wants, he wants your attention. He wants supremacy in your life. True worship, in other words, is defined by the priority. Listen to this. True worship is defined by the priority we place on God in our lives and where God is on our list of priorities. True worship is a matter of the heart expressed through a lifestyle of holiness. Okay? Therefore, if your lifestyle does not express the beauty of holiness through an extravagant love for God, and you do not live in extreme or excessive submission to God, then I invite you today to make worship a non-negotiable priority in your life. We worship God right here in the very end of this verse 11, to the glory of God the Father. We worship Him, period, because He is God. Okay? Our extravagant love and extreme submission to God flows out of that reality that God loved us first. Can you believe that? That even while I was yet dead in my transgressions and sin, he said, I love that boy. I love him. 
That's, uh, that's something to wrap your mind around. That he's seen me despite of me and said, I know what he's done, but I love him. It is highly appropriate to thank God for all these things he has done for us. However, true worship is shallow if it is solely an acknowledgement of God's wealth. Psalm 96, 5, 6 says it like this. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are his sanctuary. I love that verse, man. In other words, our worship must be toward the one who is worthy simply because of his identity as the omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent one and not just because God is wealthy and able to meet our needs and answer our prayers. We must focus our practice of worship on the worthiness of God and not his wealthiness. There's a part of scripture that says, seek God's face. Instead of his hand. You say, Lord, you tell me to seek your face. And my heart has said, Lord, I will seek your face. God calls you. This is from a book, okay? Thane gave this book to me of how people change. It's a great book. It says this at the end. I'll quote this from this book. It said, God calls you to a new identity in Christ. This is who I am. Right? Galatians 2.20 says it best. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But it is Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved and gave himself for me, for you. Right? It's a new way of living. This is who I am. This is, listen, in Philippians 2, this is what you can be. You understand that? This is what you can be because of his death and his resurrection. He's given you the power to do these things. Change is not rooted, listen to this, this is very interesting. Change is not rooted in a body of knowledge, in a set of rules, in a theological outline, or behavioral techniques. Any of us can conform to some patterns of, um, like I learned this at Saul to Paul, like any of us can submit, right, to a bunch of rules and regulations. We can be legalistic, right, and follow this book, try to follow this book to the letter of the law. Good luck, right? I'm telling you right now, Change is, not, is, change is not rooted in a body of knowledge, a set of rules, theological outlines, or behavioral techniques. It is the result of your heart's transformation by the risen Lord. It is the result of your heart's transformation by the risen Lord. It is not you doing it, I promise you. As His grace rules our hearts, we can keep His commands. There is hope for us. There is hope for us because Jesus is all we need. Believe that. Jesus is all you need. I know that might be hard to believe, right? In a world that so tries to draw you away from that. But Jesus is all you will need. And whether you see that here on earth, you will see that one day in glory. When you bow your knee and you will confess. There's hope for us, guys. These words capture our lives with the Lord. Each morning that greets me is full of hope, not because I am successful at what I am doing or because the people near me appreciate me or because circumstances are easy, but because God is and he is my father. He, to, take, to look at the morning any other way is to believe a lie. To live in hope is to live in truth. To live in truth is to bring him glory. And to bring God glory in my daily living is the highest form of worship. We'll end with this. Dear friends, let us love one another. 
For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us, that he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but, but if we love one another, God lives in us. This love lives in us and is made manifest and made complete in us. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for these people hearing me yell at them, Lord. And uh, I do get fired up about this, Lord. I, I don't want to take this lightly. Lord, I will stand before you one day. I ought to work my salvation out with fear and trembling. I might, I ought to live my life in such a way that it is a living sacrifice and it's holy and pleasing to you, Lord. That my life is not just pleasing to me and it's so self-focused, but it's God-centered. It's God-focused and in that way it's otherly focused. Lord, please don't let this fall on deaf ears today. I pray that these words would fall on a good soil. I pray against the enemy in Jesus' name that will try to snatch these words from one's heart or one's mind or one's ears, Lord. God, I'm begging you to change people's hearts in here today. Convict us, Lord. Help us to live a life of repentance every day and begging you, Lord, looking into the hills to say, God, I need your help. I cannot do this in and of myself. But I want to do this, Lord, and I know I fall short every day. Lord, but I want to live this word out. I just don't want to come in church on a Sunday morning and allow this word to come into my ear and it never affect my heart. I want to be a doer of the word. I want these people to be doers of the word. So why? So just like for me, Lord, when I seen the love of Christ in those ministries, I pray that people would actually see that same love in us and want to know Jesus. That's my hope, that they would want to know about this hope that we have and this love that we have one to another because of the love that God has instilled in us. God, help us. Please, I'm begging you, as we worship, as the worship team comes up, Father God, help us to fall on our faces. Help us to see that there is none like you. And you have done marvelous things in our lives. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys.